speaking. And Lord, that you would really get this into us, give us good fertile soil. Let the word of the Lord go forth and be as living seeds in the people's lives, Lord. Watered by the Spirit of God, seeds of truth that will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest. Lord, that there will be a light shining forth that will dispel any darkness, lies, evil, and deception, and bring revelation and truth. Lord, that your word will go out um, as the washing of the water of the word of God. And let this bear all the fruit that you want, Lord, and be a powerful time in your word. In Jesus' name we pray, we commit to you. Amen. All right, I want you all to please lock in and give me your best here tonight. I really feel this is an important word from the Lord. Our God is a consuming fire. It's important that we understand the Kronos time versus the Kairos time, okay? Kronos time is in, there's two Greek words for time, Kronos and Kairos. Kronos is just normal time as we know it. Kairos time is when God is about to do something. All right, so Kronos time is just time as we know it, 24 hours a day. We're just going through life. But Kairos time is when the Lord is about to move and something's about to happen. It's, it's like a prophetic time. It's the fullness of time. It's when, when God says, now it's time for me to do this and, and heaven begins to move. That's a Kairos time. And if we're not careful, we can get so focused on what the future holds that we're looking at, okay, God's got a revival and awakening for America. I believe he does. And, and we can also get too focused on things that are behind. Um, I thank God for the great revivals of time, times past and things that God's done. But if we're not careful, we can get focused behind us and our eyes are too much in the rearview mirror. And if we're not too careful, we can be so focused so far down the road that we're not really discerning what God's doing right now. Okay? And so that's kind of where I'm coming from. I feel that God is wanting to do something in River of Life um, between now and the month of March. It's going to be very significant. I feel we're at a Kairos time, if you will, about some things. All right. And let me say this, that there's, when God has decided to move throughout church history there's always been a remnant a smaller group that began to seek him and out of that smaller group that sought him came great revivals are y'all hearing me this this i really believe that you're living in time see in generations in the past people would see the need for revival they would see the condition of the church they would see the condition of the world and they would see where things were at spiritually and when they saw that, they began to cry out to God. They were desperate for a move of God. And it was usually a smaller group in prayer and fasting. And they really sought God. And they, they got the breakthrough in prayer. And that smaller group saw heaven invade earth. And it, it got a breakthrough sometimes for tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, even millions of people that were impacted. And I believe that you're living in a time where you're seeing things that are ripe for revival. You're seeing the wickedness in the world increase. You're seeing the church backslidden. And you're seeing a small group, a remnant, that's really crying out to God for revival. And I believe that God's going to hear and respond. So you're living in one of those Kairos times in, in uh, revival history. But also in regards to River of Life as a ministry, I believe we're also at our own personal Kairos times. Does this make sense? All right. 
But I'm going to read this vision again. I shared this on Tuesday, but I want you to hear it. If you've already heard it, just let this sink in really good. If you haven't heard this, I really want you to give me your best ear. James Maloney wrote this vision that God gave him. It's in a book he wrote called The Lord in the Fires. And um, I really felt the Lord speak to me to read this, and, and I felt this is what he wanted me to see. So let me just share this vision with you. And listen, there's times in our lives where God's really speaking to us about something, and I believe this is one of those times in River of Life. God spoke to me around 2011. He told me it's going to be the year and the time frame. I said it wouldn't just be a year, but a time of major increase of anointing, and God gave me a vision about the lampstand. And then John Kilpatrick confirmed that and gave me a word about tenfold increase. We saw that happen. Then God spoke to me a couple years later and said that it would be a year of restoration. There would be new jobs, relocations, et cetera, et cetera. And God really repositioned people. I mean, it, it was widespread. All right, I'm telling you that we're at another Kairos time. And what God spoke to me was that it's the time to favor Zion. And it's the time that God's going to show favor to River of Life. And there's going to be tremendous breakthroughs, tremendous breakthroughs. There's been strongholds, there's been other things, and God has, has allowed this for a time to really prepare us, and he used these trials to teach us and all that. But we're at a time where I, I really felt that this year would begin the restoration, and that's what I believe is coming. Like a, When I say restoration, I'm not talking about a few years ago, but realigning. I mean restoration now, I feel like, where things that have been stolen by the devil being restored. Amen? Major breakthroughs. All right, so let me read this vision. Okay, so this is James Maloney's vision. I'm just going to read it as it is. He said there was a pavilion represented, uh, representing the holy place. Now, you guys are familiar with the tabernacles. You have the outer court, then the holy place, then you have the holy of holies. The outer court was outdoors. The holy place, it was lit up by um, lampstands. Okay? The holy of holies was dark except for the glory, and the ark was in there. All right, so he said it wasn't overly ornate or fancy, but it, was, it wasn't dirty or cheap either, just sort of functional. Oddly enough, though, he said um, it wasn't like Old Testament time where there was a bunch of men in robes and you know big beards like Moses and things like that. He said there were a few hundred Christians seated there, maybe 400. They were in this holy place area, and they were dressed modernly. Many, if not most of them, were in need of some kind of physical healing. I could see that they were hurting. They had blind eyes. Some of them were, had deaf ears. Some had tumors. Some had crippling diseases. And just a whole mess of humanity waiting in this pavilion. And I could sense that they were eagerly anticipating ministry for healing. And I knew behind us was, so he's looking at the holy place. He said, I knew behind that was the outer court. And down a set of steps they would go. This is obviously in the vision here, but... I thought that the people, that there were people out there in the outer court as well. They were out in the sunlight, the natural sunshine. It was a warm place and nice. And also inside the holy place, it was lit by really tall lampstands that emanated a warm light. Showbread was on the table of showbread. The altar of incense was there and the incense was coming up and it was an intoxicating smell. And he said it was nice here in the holy place. Don't misunderstand me. He said the people were still sick and suffering. And I found that strange because here they were in the tabernacle of God. These were his people, yet many of them still suffering. And my heart longed for them to be made whole. 
And the angel of the Lord appeared and escorted me between the wall of the pavilion and a row of seated people. So he began to go up toward the front. And as he got up toward the front, there were two flaps. Now this was, you guys know, the holy place and the holy of holies. There's a big veil that separates the two, okay? And he said these two flaps made a veil separating the holy place from the holy of holies. And another angel was standing. So there was one on each flap. And these were cherubim. And they reached out and lifted up the flaps. And when they did, there was a warm light that filled the holy place from the holy of holies. It was an indescribable glory of God that was emanating out of the holy of holies into the holy place. It, it literally darkened the lights of the lampstands because it was so bright coming in. And all the people, about 400 people there, they all ooed and they awed and they basked in the glory. And it felt really good just to have that level of glory upon us. And some people actually improved physically in their health, but they weren't completely healed. That was the thing. Yet they seemed content to just sit in this level of eminence with God, absorbing that portion of his power, but they made no no motion to go forward. Now let's just think about this for a minute, because I believe this is a true vision from the Lord. The people were content in that level, but they did not want to make any effort to go deeper. They just they wanted God to touch them where they are, but they didn't want to have to do anything. They just wanted, you know. And the angels beckoned for us to go deeper, to go from the holy place. They were inviting us to go into the holy of holies. And they seemed that they were sad because all of us weren't rushing in to get into the holy of holies. Here they were opening the doors and people just sat there. They were happy with these rays of light spilling out on them, but they didn't want to go in. And so Maloney in this vision, he said this vision was so real to him, it was like he he was there, okay? But he said, he wondered, are these people scared? He said, maybe some of them were. He said, he wondered if, do they feel unworthy? He thought, well, maybe some of them do. But mostly, he said, I think that they were weighed down by dullness, spiritual dullness, a lack of understanding that lured them into complacency. He said, I'm not minimizing their experience, but that level of encounter with God wasn't enough to see them completely set free. And there was really no excuse because the invitation to enter was for everybody Come on in, the angel said. Meet the source of the light. Go deeper in God. Get out of your comfort zone. Get out of where you are and make some effort here. Get into the deeper things of God. And I said to myself, he's standing there, right? And he's looking at the people and he looks at the angels. He looks at the glory. And he said, I said to myself, are you kidding? And he goes running into the glory. And so as he ran in, as he was going in, he saw, um, I walked toward the flaps and only three other people went with me. One was a man with a cane, dragging his leg as he shuffled forward. Another woman was utilizing a walker. I just pictured this old lady going real fast with her walker, right, trying to get in. (laughs) The last was a man in a wheelchair. He probably popped a wheelie, trying to get in there as fast as he could. And the moment we passed beyond the veil into the most holy place, words fail me to properly describe the overwhelming awesome presence that bowled us over. In that place, the light was not from the lampstands. It was the Shekinah glory of God. 
While I did not see the Father on the throne, I saw the four and twenty-four elders worshiping him. I did see bolts of fiery lightning, followed by crashes, peals of thunder, the sounds of trumpets. He said there was royal tapestries beyond human description arrayed in colors that cannot be replicated on the earth. Everywhere there was light, shafts and beams of glory emanating from the Father of lights himself. Waves of glory rolled over us, and we were fully immersed in the single greatest renewing experience I've ever had. It was energizing. Almost like God's love and his Zoe life, anybody knows the Greek word Zoe, the life of God, um, was given visibly in forms of waves of light washing over us. So he was saying like these, it was like ocean waves. And in those waves was God's power and presence in his life. And they were just washing over him. And then the shockwave hit us and we were just bowled over. Slain in the spirit, we were like dead men just under the glory. The anointing and the reverence was almost too much to handle. And we basked in this unrestrained glory of God for a few minutes. Then I staggered back to my feet. The angels reopened the flaps, letting some of the fire and the heat escape out into the holy place. When I exited the holy place, I saw the people anticipating for me to minister to them to somehow express the glory I had just witnessed to them vicariously. And it was as if they wanted to experience the glory of God, but from a distance. And I was reminded in Exodus how Moses and Joshua went into the tabernacle, but every man stood at his tent door and watched them go in. They themselves did not want to go in. And they were content to get a second-hand experience from Moses. Isn't that, uh, there's more to this, but isn't that true that people a lot of times, they don't want to pay the price to go deep in God, but they want somebody else to go in, like let's just say some anointed people, like maybe a Benny Hinn or somebody, they want them to pay the price to go into the deep place and then come out and just pray for me. You see what I mean? You go pay the price and you get in there, just come out and pray for me and I'll be fine. So these people in the holy place, they were blessed, yes, but it was just in measure. And the angel led me past them down the steps that led to the outer court, where I found maybe 15 to 20 people waiting down by the curb, and these were mostly unchurched, unsaved people. Some of them were crippled, blind, deaf folks who had been drawn to the tabernacle, attracted to God, but not yet stepping into the holy place. The angel told me to minister to them, and I did. And it was amazing. Now, remember, he had just come out of the Holy of Holies, so he's really got a fresh anointing here. And so as he ministered to them, he said the demonized were delivered. All manner of physical needs were healed. Whatever they struggled under didn't matter. The Lord's grace was sufficient for them all. They were saved, baptized in the Spirit, and began praising God as their physical infirmities were healed. It was so awesome seeing such wonderful breakthroughs and salvation. But in the back of my mind, I felt sad for the few hundred Christians back in the holy place. And when I finished ministering to these people, the angel led me back inside, past the waiting Christian, and the flaps were opened a second time. And once again, inviting everybody to enter in as the door was drawn back, and I saw the cane, <laughs> this time the flaps open. He said, I saw the cane fly out. <laughs> the walker come flying out. The, lone, the wheelchair come, you know, rolled out by itself empty. And I came out of this vision, both exhilarated, praising God, but also disheartened that so many people remained in the holy place and went no, far, no further. See, this is what he says. I'm reading this last paragraph. See, those kinds of miracles only took place in the holy of holies. And I I'm convinced this is where we're coming to. People must come boldly into the most holy place for themselves. Hebrews 4.16, Jesus has rent the veil that separated God's throne room, but most Christians seem reluctant to enter in. I maintain that the majority of these kinds of miracles will happen in the Holy of Holies where the fullness of God's glory is manifest, where we are intimate with the Father. 
Amen. I agree with him. I believe this is, this is what I'm referring to. People say, what do you mean when you talk about revival? This is what I'm talking about with revival. That God pour out his spirit in an amazing way and we go deep in the things of God. That's what was experienced in these tremendous revivals of times past. Like we read about in the Susan and Brownsville and other places. There was an open heaven and, and people went into the holy of holies. Into the deep realms of God's glory. All right. I'm hungry to go deeper. And I believe that this is a Kairos time for River of Life to begin to go deeper than we've been. But people, let me tell you, we cannot be content where we are. If you're content where you are, you're not going to make the effort to go deeper. You're not going to press in. And so that's what I feel the Holy Spirit is speaking. I've got some things to share about that. But how many are hungry to really go deeper in God? I mean, really, I'm not content here. I want to go beyond the veil. And uh, whatever that means, I mean, I'm, I'm willing to die whatever I need to. And some of this is going to be maybe a challenging word, but here's the thing I've learned. When God challenges us like this, don't ever, don't ever respond to a sermon or anything like that. Don't ever respond with an attitude of, you know what, that may be for somebody else, but I'm fine. You know, don't, don't go there because that's really kind of a smugness. But whenever something's preached, we may think to ourselves, I'm not even sure that really applies to me. I seem like I'm all right. I don't know. It doesn't seem like. But be humble and say, you know what, though, Lord? I don't see everything. I don't know everything. I humble myself. Say, Lord, if there is anything in me that's a hindrance, forgive me. Change me. Take it out of me. Help me to go deeper in you. You see the difference? There's like this humility. Because sometimes sermons like this, prophetic sermons, they'll, they'll hit right. It's exposing something but it's exposing something that most people don't see. And that's kind of what I'm dealing with is I believe that there's a religious spirit in this region. And it, it's like an invisible veil that really keeps people from the deeper realms of God. And people don't realize it's there, and they're in the holy place, some of them. You know, I'm talking about churches that are at least full gospel. They're in the holy place, and they've got the presence of God there, They've got the communion table, the fellowship of the Lord. They've got good worship, and they seem to be really content there. And every once in a while, the glory will come in, and they're, they're sitting there going, man, I'm in revival. I'm so hungry for God. Things are so amazing. And, and, and they think that they've arrived, but they're sitting on their high knees in the holy place, and the holy of holies is still up there, and they're not in there. But they think that they're good. I have arrived. They're only deceiving themselves. So we need to consider the fact that there just might be more than what we've ever experienced. There might be a deeper place in God we haven't been yet. And I believe there is for River of Life, okay, as a corporate body, that God's calling us to go deeper. So let me give you a couple of quick things about this. In Revelation 1.12, the first thing we've got to deal with is we've got to have a holy fear of God, a deep consecration unto God, which I believe River of Life understands. So I understand that I'm preaching to the choir, so to speak, here. But that's what I believe more than anything else has been kind of stolen by the devil through very crafty teaching from very crafty people that have stolen the holy fear of God and the holiness of God and a consecration unto God 
that there's teaching out there that has stolen that from the church and people feel that they have kind of this loose grace thing that they can pretty much do what they want. And they don't realize that they'll never, ever get into the Holy of Holies like that. Their, their sin and their flesh will keep them out. But if they'll humble themselves and really get consecrated unto God, man, the Lord's wanting us to go deeper. And the thing about it is that I want my life consecrated unto God because I love him. It's not a religious thing. Is because I love the Lord. I don't, I don't want anything to be a hindrance. I want to be able to be driving down the road in my car and sense his nearness. I don't want some, something in my life that's causing there to be a block. I don't want to go into my prayer time and it feel like there's something blocking me and hindering me. I want to be able to sit in my home and feel his presence. But it's not a religious thing. It's because I love him and I don't want there to be a, a problem in between us. And how many knows if there's a problem between me and him, it's not him. Okay, it's going to be me. And so as long as I'm willing to forgive people and, get, and just confess anything and repent of anything and deal with whatever I need to, I can keep things consecrated wholly into God, then there's not going to be a hindrance with me being able to be in his presence and hear his voice and spend time with him. All right, so when Revelation one twelve, John saw the Lord, and we know this, I've read it many times, but he said, I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and having turned... I saw seven golden lampstands in the middle of the lampstands. Now see the lampstands he saw floating like that, seven golden lampstands. The lampstands represent the church. Like there were seven different churches that this was written to. So River of Life is a lampstand. You understand what I'm saying? We're called to be a light to the world. We're called to have the sevenfold manifest presence of the Spirit of God. And so Jesus was walking among the lampstands. How many want Jesus to walk in river of life, man? And it's not, listen, when Jesus came to town, there were certain people it seemed like he would stay with them. And other people, maybe he didn't. Think about that for a minute. That whenever he came to town, he would stay with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. What about the guy that he was in his house, and they ripped the roof off, and the cripple came down, and he was in the guy's house? What about all the other houses? Why was Jesus in that house? I want to be the guy that when Jesus comes to town, he wants to stay in my house. And I want to be the church that when Jesus is going to move, he doesn't want to pass by this church. This is a, a, a lampstand that he wants to walk among. Okay? In the middle of the lampstand, I saw the Son of Man clothed, clothed with a robe reaching down to his feet. Girded across his chest was a golden sash. His head and his hair were like uh, white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were flaming fire. His feet were like burnished bronze. And it has been made to glow like it has been made to glow in a furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. And those were the pastors of those seven churches. Okay. And out of his mouth came a sharp double-edged sword. And his face was shining like the, the sun in all of its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though I was a dead man. Now think about that for a minute. Jesus um, appears. And John isn't over there wanting to high-five him. John isn't wanting to, you know, bump knuckles with him, like a chest bump or something, and a, he's my buddy. John felt like a dead man. There was a holiness and a reverence toward him, okay? I think that the flippant attitude that a lot of people have about the presence of God has kept them out of his presence, amen? But God is wanting us to have this holy reverence of his presence. 
The next thing I would say, how hungry are we really? So first off, are we willing to consecrate our lives and have a holy reverence of God? The second point is, how hungry really are we? In Revelation 3, verse 20, um, Jesus said this, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person. They'll eat with me. So Jesus is the one knocking at the door. But here's where I think a lot of people are. Song of Solomon 5, verse 2. She said, I was asleep, but my heart was awake. A voice, my beloved, was knocking open unto me, my sister, my darling, my dove, my perfect one. For my head is drenched with dew, my locks with the damp of night. And here's her response. The Lord is knocking at the door, and her response is, I've already taken off my dress. I've already, do I have to get dressed again? I've washed my feet. Do I want to dirty them again? She was too lazy to get up and open the door to the Lord. In verse 4, my beloved extended his hand through the opening, and my feelings were aroused for him. So I rose to open up to my beloved, and my hands dripped with myrrh, and my fingers with liquid myrrh, so that he left anointing oil there. But she opened to her beloved, and he had already gone. And so she said, my heart went out to him. He knocked, but I didn't want to open the door, so he left a little anointing and left. And so she opens the door and realizes, hey, I made a mistake. And so she's calling out to him, but he didn't answer. So she took off. She threw on her robe and everything, took off running, looking for the Lord. Verse 7, the watchmen who made their rounds in the city found me, and they struck me and wounded me, and the guardsmen of the walls took away my shawl from me. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, if you find my beloved, as to what will you tell him, for I'm lovesick. She was looking for him. So... Let me tell you, when you start chasing after God like that, like you're desperate, don't think that other Christians are going to understand it. That's like those watchmen that kind of smacked her around. They didn't understand. Let me tell you, it's, I'm being serious about this. There's people that, all right, if you're going to be on fire for God with all your heart, you're going to burn for him, you're desperate for him, you're hungry for him. That's actually normal Christianity. But every other Christian that's not living like that will say that you're radical and you're off, you're not balanced. Are you hearing what I'm saying? How many times have I seen people that were really hungry for God and their family members sat home, they didn't usually go to church, and they would tell them, oh, you need to quit being so crazy about this stuff. You're, you're not balanced. Oh, yeah. Listen, people that are hungry for God, Jesus is coming for a bride that has made herself ready. How many have seen a bride that is bored for waiting for their wedding? I don't think so. A bride is ready to get married. They're anticipating. They're excited. They're ready to be with their groom. And that's the way we're supposed to be. And on fire people, hungry for the things of God, desperate for more of God. But this is where a lot of people are. A lot of people, Jesus knocks at the door, and they're too lazy to get up and make any effort to go after him. So he goes somewhere else. And then they realize, whoa, I made a mistake. And as soon as they start really trying to go after God, then the religious people rise up and start abusing them. Quit going after God like that. Quit being weird. I love in the Brownsville Revival where the phrase was coined, do you know what a radical is? Because they would see people that go up there and they'd be dancing just crazy going after God with all their heart. They were so hungry. And somebody would be sitting back in the back going, oh, they're so radical. And at Brownsville they used to say, do you know what the definition of a radical is? It's just somebody closer to Jesus than you. <laughs> yeah, it is. But see, many people have lost the fire. They've lost that passion, that hunger that they once had. 
So instead of saying, you know, this isn't for me, or I don't want to hear this, or whatever, there's a religious spirit that's at war with this type of sermon. You understand that? When a preacher preaches like this, the spirit that's going to be in direct opposition to this type of sermon is a religious spirit. Because it wants people to stay lukewarm. It wants people to stay complacent. It wants people to stay right where they are. It doesn't want them to go deeper in God. So as you start preaching like this, and it starts stirring up that, it starts manifesting. So let me just challenge people to say, are we really as hungry as we claim to be? Are we really as desperate as we used to be? Was there a time in our lives when we were closer to the Lord, more on fire for God, more about his kingdom than we are right now? If so, then we're the ones that's backslid, not God. If there's a problem there, it's certainly not God. It's like Leonard Ravenhill said, the fire of God doesn't die in you. God can't die. His fire can't die. What happened is that people begin to allow other things to put out the fire. So Jesus walks among the lampstands. And here's my next point. Don't be deceived by apathy, complacency, lukewarmness, compromise, or backsliding. We want to say of ourselves, well, I'm so on fire. I'm so hungry. I'm, I'm doing everything I need to be doing. I'm, I'm right where I need to be. But let me encourage you about this. In John seven twenty four, Jesus said, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. And Jeremiah shows us that our own hearts are deceitful above all things, desperately wicked, who can know it? So our own hearts, our own self-judgment can be wrong. We can think that we're a lot further along in the things that have got a lot more on fire, a lot more hungry than what we actually are. And let me show an example of that in Revelation 3.14. The angel of the church of Laodicea write this, the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the beginning of creation. God says this, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot, but because you're lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will, it means vomit in the Greek. I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say, I'm, look at this, you say about yourself, you have judged yourself saying that I'm rich, I've become wealthy, I don't need anything. I'm fine just like I am. Thank you, sir. Here I am sitting in the holy place. Everything's fine. Why rock the boat? But Jesus said, now I'm going to judge with righteous judgment and the way I see you guys is this. I'm not shooting this to anybody. I'm just saying this with the scriptures. Because you say I'm rich and wealthy and need nothing, But you do not know that in my eyes, Jesus is saying, you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And I advise you to buy gold refined in the fire so that you may become rich, white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and that your shame of nakedness will not be revealed. And I salve, that's the anointing, to anoint your eyes so that you can see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and him with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is speaking to the churches. And I just feel the Lord in this right here, just saying, listen, I'm calling you deeper. Don't say about yourself that I'm fine like I am. Don't respond like that. I've learned when God gives me words like this, I'm not going to respond like, you know what, I'm fine. Thank you. I'm fine like I am. I don't want to respond like that. I want to say, Lord, forgive me. Show me if there's something I need to repent. Lord, forgive me if I've grown cold or or complacent or I've allowed the fire to go out. Take that out of me. Set me on fire again. Draw me deeper in you. If we have that humble, repentant heart, God will take us deeper. 
And then the last point is this. God starts the fire, but we've got to keep it going. But many times people, they can look back on their life and say there was a time that they were more on fire for God than they are now. If they're really truthfully honest. I was doing more witnessing. I was more zealous. I, I was really going after God in my prayer life. I was hungry for the word. I couldn't wait to get to church. You can always tell I'm fire people. You know, I was just going after God with all my heart, but some things start happening. The cares of the world, the busyness of jobs, the busyness with family, the, the other things that begin, just like Jesus said it would, begin to grow up around, and they begin to choke out the fruitfulness in our lives. Pretty soon the fire starts dying down. Now there's less prayer. There's less a hunger and a passion. There's, there's less soul winning. Things are just dying down. All right, but God starts the fire, and the priest, we must keep it going. So here's some things the enemy will try to do to snuff out your fire. Number one, he'll try to cause compromise. Number two, he'll try to cause an enemy oppression. And number three, the cares of life. And number four, getting out of prayer and out of church. Those are the four areas that Satan tries to hit people. Compromise. Are there things that we're allowing in our lives today that we wouldn't have in the past and we know that they're not really like they need to be? It grieves me because I know there was people that I personally know that they were in revival back in the 90s. I know them. I know their life. We were friends. And I know that they had godly convictions back then, and it really makes me sad seeing some of them now, the things that they're watching, the things they're participating in, the things that they're drinking, it's not like it used to be. They backslid. Are there things that we're compromising, we're allowing things in our lives that we know from, from the past, we know it's not right, but we've allowed it. That's the first thing. The second thing is, has the enemy tried to oppress you? Has there tried to be a satanic heaviness that has hindered you from going after God? Let me encourage you to discern it and break that thing. Okay, you discern it and I bind you out of here. I break through that. I'm not going to tolerate it. I wonder how many Christians don't ever pray like that. They don't really rebuke the enemy out. And they just kind of sit there under this heavy blanket. Number three, the cares of life. If we've allowed ourselves just other things, just being so busy with other things, that our prayer lives have suffered, our time in the Word suffered, our church attendance has suffered, and pretty soon the fire just begins to dwindle down. And that's, that's what Jesus said would happen. The cares of life try to grow up. And the last one is, are we, have we gotten out of prayer or out of church? Have we disconnected from the source of the move of God. Because your personal move of God is going to be in your prayer life. And the corporate move of God primarily is going to be flowing at the house of God. Let me give you some scriptures. Leviticus 9.22. Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people. And he blessed them. And he stepped down after making a sin offering and a burnt offering and peace offerings. So Aaron and Moses, they shed the blood. The blood was applied there. Okay. And in that place, Aaron was speaking a blessing. And when they came out and blessed the people, the glory of the Lord appeared to the people. And look at this. And the fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of the fat on the altar. And when the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their face. So God lit the fire. It's just like it was with Elijah. God used Moses and Aaron to build the altar 
They they put the the wood in the, the bottom of it. They killed the animals and put things on top of the altar, but they needed God to send the fire. And God will use men of God and women of God to kind of get things ready, but ultimately God's got to come light the fire. But once God lit the fire, he told them in another portion of Scripture in Leviticus, he said that the priest have to take out the ashes and keep putting wood in the altar and never let the fire go out. Don't ever let it go out. It's to burn 24-7. You keep an eye on it. If it starts to go down, you remove the ashes, put new wood in there, but you keep that fire going. So God starts the fire, but it's our responsibility as priests to keep the fire going. We keep the fire going by keeping the stuff out of our lives we need to keep out, by rebuking the enemy back, and by pressing into God. And see, that's where I think a lot of people just, they they get kind of down in this place of comfortable where they are. And it's time to go deeper, but they're like, well, you know, this chair is so comfortable where I'm at. You know, it smells really good here in the holy place, that incense. Yeah, it smells really good. Those lampstands sure are pretty. And that bread, man, it tastes good right there. So I'm, I'm good. You know, I'm happy. And the angels are pulling back those flaps saying, man, it's time to go deeper. You need to get up out of this place and go into the deeper realms of God. Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Picture that some people are weighed down by carrying like a backpack. Spiritually speaking, they're trying to run a race, but they're trying to run a race with a big old backpack on their shoulders. They're weighed down by things, weighed down by the flesh, weighed down by the the world, weighed down by compromise, things that shouldn't be in their life. And it's time to shed off all that old stuff, whatever it is, and really run after the Lord. In Matthew 3.11, it says, um, I I baptize you, John the Baptist said, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who's more powerful than I, whose sandals I'm not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So Jesus is the baptizer of fire. In Isaiah 61.1, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted, he has sent me to bind up and heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, a mantle, a garment of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. So they will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So the Lord is giving us a garment of praise to get on the other side of that spirit of heaviness. I feel that's what the Holy Spirit is saying right now. It's like a call in the spirit for people to hear this. And let me, everybody give me your best ear. I want people to hear what is the Spirit, those that have eyes to see, those that have ears to hear what the Spirit is speaking to the church? Not just what pastor had a sermon. No, this, this is more than that. This is what the Holy Spirit is speaking to the church. It's almost like a warning. Like I'm calling you to go deeper, but that doesn't mean that you're going to. And in that vision, 
there was out of 400, there was only three that went deeper. So the warning is that there could be your neighbors could go past the veil, but you're not. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to be one. I kind of feel like that, that James guy. I've always been kind of like that. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> Just run in there, you know. But I've seen that so many times. In this, in this area, that religious spirit has been really strong. And it, wants to, it causes there to be something in the spirit realm that really tries to just weigh down on people where they won't go after God with all their heart. They won't get past it. They feel weighed down somehow. So I want us to pray about it. If you could go ahead and shut down the recordings for me. And we're just going to pray about this. I'm going to pray for people. I want to have time for the altar ministry. Now, how many of you guys want to let God just rebaptize us with fire tonight? Okay. All right. But we have to first prepare the altar. Now, I know that we're all putting, shuffling, putting stuff up, but I want everybody to hear this. We have to be like Elijah, and we've got to build the altar before God's going to send the fire. So Elijah was like, all right, I've got to rebuild this altar that Jezebel tore down. So began to rebuild the stones, began to put the wood on it and everything got the animal on it. And then Elijah said, now let's go a little step further, dig a big old trench and start dumping water on it. And let's really let God show off. But nonetheless, Elijah had to build that altar. And what I'm saying is, is that we've got to build an altar right now to ask God, Lord, forgive me. I may not see it. I may not understand it. Maybe I thought I was doing a lot better than I was. I don't know. But forgive me for any complacency. Forgive me, Lord, for any lack of going after you. The fire maybe isn't like it needs to be. This is the altar we're going to build, okay? We're going to build an altar of prayer and repentance and get things right before him. And, Lord, don't pass me by. Lord, don't have to pass my house by and go to some other house. If you're coming to town, I want you to come to my house. If you're coming to Dallas, I don't want you to pass by River of Life and have to go find somebody. I want you to come in here. But we've got to build this altar of making sure, Lord, get the stuff out. Get this religious stuff out of me that, that's been holding me back. Forgive me. And let the Lord do that, and then the fire will come. Okay. So let's go ahead and just put on some of that worship you had going earlier, just kind of quietly. Let's find a place, guys. Make an altar where you're at right there. Let's just get on our face before him and pray and ask his forgiveness tonight. Somebody can dim the lights, and we can just go maybe.